listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We kicked off this series talking about uh, essential Christian beliefs and uh, in that first week, we gave out some homework, kind of a challenge to put it into practice. And props to Judy. She took it seriously and went home and went to work and started practicing and uh, sent the video in just saying, hey, I did it. And so I had a great time. Uh, one of the things you could do is like pick somebody to go to breakfast or lunch or something just for fun, right? Like we, it's always more cool to do homework if there's a reward. And uh, so it took her and Matt to breakfast and uh, had a fun time just celebrating that she took that serious, which is a really cool thing. And then we've had a lot of other people that have been reciting the keywords at the coffee shop to get a free coffee. It's not free. I have to buy it. Um, so way to go. costing me money. Um, so, but it's cool. And it's really cool that people are taking that seriously. And so uh, this whole series has been more, uh, it's not just about our essential Christian beliefs, like the, the, the things in the center, right? Those bullseye beliefs. It's also been about helping give you a framework to learn how to think about the things we believe as Christians and, and where do they fit on our priority level? Like, are some things we believe as Christians more important than other things. And in our everyday life, we all recognize that. Like some things that we believe, uh, you know, are more important. I, you know, shared the example a while back. Like, uh, I believe grilled cheese should be eaten with ketchup. And that is a high priority for me and very important. Um, not watered down ketchup water that you guys call tomato soup. Like, I don't understand tomato soup people, right? You probably heard that before. So, but, so, just because I believe that doesn't mean it's as important as other things I believe. We, there's different things we believe have different levels of importance. And, and so this series has been designed to give us a framework. And this uh, target is a way to help us understand the different kinds of things that we believe as Christians. Are, sometimes they're called Christian convictions. And so we talked in the first week about the bullseye. Those things that go in the center of our target are essential for our Christian faith. Like, if we don't believe these things, we're not really believing Christian, uh, biblical Christianity anymore. It's something else. So there, there are the bullseye, the central core beliefs to our faith. Outside of that are things that are important to our faith. So, so things that we believe uh, that are important. Now, those important beliefs are key for us to be a faithful follower of Jesus, but they're not, necessi- uh, they're not necessarily required for salvation. Um, and we'll unpack that a little bit more as we go through as well. But, and then on the fringe of the target, on the outside edge of our target, are the things that we call personal preferences, the things that land uh, in an area that we prefer. And we're going to spend a little bit of time today kind of zeroing in on those and talking a little bit about uh, what they are and why they matter and all that stuff. But as we're just kind of recapping this, it's, it, I recognize how valuable and important this practice is for us as a church. I also am fully aware that it does feel a little bit like what's on first, who's on second, where's on third, and it gets a little bit like confusing, right? It can be a little bit like, okay, but it was important, essential, personal, right? And so you might be thinking in your head, like, I get some of it, but why does this really matter? And I'm glad you asked. You should actually look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you asked. 
Aren't you glad your neighbor has asked you that? It's so good to be where people are curious, right? Uh, it, the thing is, all of us have grown up and, and the, the things that we believe and hold strongly to have been shaped by the people and the circumstances in our life. That's not a real big secret. The same thing is true with our Christian faith. So whether you grew up in a Christian home, whether you came to faith later in life, whether you're just now coming and figuring it out, like all of us in our Christian journey, uh, our beliefs are shaped a lot by the people and circumstances that we're around. And so understanding what these uh, beliefs are is really important. And understanding the different levels of priority that not everything that we hold to as Christians is equally important. That's really important because what happens a lot is we can find ourselves having heated discussions. Uh, If you're a Christian for a long time, you say it's intense fellowship. Uh, If you're just a regular person, you call it arguing, Um, right? And so we can find ourselves arguing, debating about things that are not essential to our faith with other believers. We can find ourselves talking about the things that are out on the edge of the bullseye. And the reality is that seems to happen more often than not. And it's, it's, it's not really rocket science to figure out why. Like, we like what we like. They're called a personal preference for a reason is because it's, it's this is what I prefer. And it's easy to defend and argue about or hold strongly to things that you really like. Because let's be honest, we are all our favorite person, right? Like it just That's the way we're built. And so it's easy to like the things that we like the most. And we end up arguing about things that are far from the bullseye. So for example, if if somebody says that uh, they have questioned, they question the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, coincidentally, is essential to our Christian faith, that Jesus died, buried, and was resurrected, and that his conquering of death paid the price for sin once and for all. That is a, a core tenet of our faith, that Jesus was resurrected. If somebody says to me that they're a Christian, but they don't believe in resurrection, they don't believe that Jesus was resurrected, I'm going to call into question their belief about resurrection. And we're going to get into that. And we're going to talk about that. I'm also going to be curious about how someone could be a Christian and not believe in the resurrected Jesus. Like, those are bullseye beliefs. We're going to zero in on those. On the flip side, what happens way more often is we get sidetracked, dividing, arguing, debating about stuff that's out on the land of preferences, near the edge of the target. Things like alcohol. First service, I was thinking about asking everybody who likes to drink and just get it out on the table. But then I thought maybe that'd be a bad idea. So here's the truth. Christians have different positions on this. They have different preferences on this. Some Christians believe with all their heart that it is totally wrong for any Christian to drink at all, ever. Other Christians, for example, uh, believe something a little bit different. They believe that it's okay to drink sometimes, like in moderation. And what I find when I have spoken to people about this, normally moderation comes with some extra explanation. It's, 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 it's okay in moderation in this circumstance or in this venue. Or you can have a glass of wine, but you shouldn't drink whiskey. Or like they have parameters 
about what is okay and what's not okay. It's their preference. And then other Christians have no issue with alcohol whatsoever. They genuinely have a clear conscience about it. It's not an issue for them in any way, shape, or form. In fact, sometimes they may say something like, it's never even occurred to me as a believer and follower in Christ that it would matter if I had a beer. Like, never even popped in my mind, right? And, and so the challenge that we have as Christians, as believers, as a church, is how do we handle all of these different things that are uh, out on the edge of the bullseye, where people have different preferences on them? Because the truth is, not only are you going to engage with other believers out in the community and in your rest of your life that believe different things than you, probably in our own church, There are people that land in different positions on that when it comes to preference. That's just one particular little topic. We could list hundreds of topics that people have beliefs about when in regards to their personal preferences. Uh, um, The challenge with this is that you would hope that Christians would never make assumptions about someone else's salvation based on what they believe about a preference. That would be nice to wish that, right? Unfortunately for us, it it happens all the time. I know Corbin shared last week about some of his worship background experience um, in church and some of the differences there. For me, I got exposed to this the first time. The first church I ever went to was called an Instrumental Church of Christ. I had no clue what that meant. I thought it was like band class and we all played. I did, I'm like, what's an instrumental church, right? Like, instrumental in doing, th- I don't know. I, I, but I knew the pastor, and I liked the pastor, and so I got to know him, and as I got to know him, I began to learn about the history of that church and what it meant and where they came from, and what I learned was pretty discouraging. What I learned was that that church had actually come from another church of Christ that was called a non-instrumental church of Christ, <laughs> And it wasn't just one, they're all over. And it was a non-instrumental Church of Christ where people had a preference that they would prefer not to worship with instruments, and they elevated that preference to the bullseye. In that church, if you used instruments, you were going to hell. It was a salvation issue. Some people in that church went, we don't like that. We want to go somewhere. And so they started a different church, which is where I found myself, in the instrumental church of Christ, where they went all out and put a piano on the stage and got crazy, right? And it's easy to, to tell a story like that and laugh about it, and we can kind of all sort of roll our eyes like, seriously, like that, like people do that stuff? Here's the truth. This is why this matters so much, because all of us are susceptible to elevating things that we prefer to a, a level of importance that is more than they are. Because we like what we like. We get stuck in our rut. We get dogmatic defending the things that we really care about, that we have passion about, that we've been taught or were normal for us always growing up. And they may not be a a bullseye belief or an essential for salvation, but we can elevate them to the wrong place of importance on the target. And when that happens, it creates division. 
It creates discouragement in the body. It creates confusion in the body because people are like, wait a minute, this, I don't understand how having a piano or not having a piano has anything to do with anybody being saved. And it waters down and confuses our witness. So learning where our beliefs go on the target learning what we talk about, what are we willing to defend, what are we willing to argue about, what should we not argue about, is really important for us as Christians. Fortunately, God's word is full of great advice to help guide us on this. And so I want to look at Jesus as our first example. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is a really awesome statement. This says a lot about who Jesus is, where he came from, but I want to zero in on those very last words because those words, grace and truth, really sum up all of Jesus' ministry. How he lived, how he behaved, how he taught, how he engaged and interacted, he came full of grace and truth. Those two words are like twin anchors in his life and ministry, grace and truth. Now, the, one of the problems is we can look at those two words and sort of feel like they might be at odds with each other because they seem so different. When we think about truth, we can think about like concrete. It's really rigid. It's more black and white. Truth is true because it's true, right? It can't be something else if it's true. Right? This stage is black. It's always black and always will be. Black is black. Like it's just, it is what it is. And so we can see it as very concrete, unchanging. And then we can see grace as more patient and kind and forgiving. And it sort of looks a little bit like how can one be both of those things? Like those actually oppose each other. This says don't bend. This says be flexible. This says black and white. This says be patient. Give grace, right? And so we try to figure that out. And in the way Jesus lived, he lived his life not so much than those within opposition to each other, but it was more like those two things, grace and truth, were uh, really necessary complements to each other. Because you see, if we take those things and we have grace without truth, it can become flimsy and cheap, right? If you've ever read Bonhoeffer's book, you learn about his his frustration with cheap grace, that, it, that there's more to it than grace alone and, and wrestling with that. And, and then if you're on the flip side, truth without grace can become really oppressive and cold and harsh. And it's in studying Jesus's life that we get these great examples. We see this balance of how they complement each other. When do you bring grace to the table? When do you bring truth to the table? How do you mingle those two things together in the same circumstances? And so in your notes, I put a bunch of uh, references for you uh, to look at on your own outside of this. And so I would just really encourage you, make sure you take your sermon notes home with you, Go back uh, this week when you're doing your quiet time, whether you're a morning person or a late night person, uh, go through those things and really review and reflect on like what did it look like for Jesus to bring grace and truth and, and spend some time on that. And, and what you're going to see over and over and over again is that Jesus was passionate about the truth. But the truth that he taught and the way that he brought it was not condemning 
or oppressive. He actually brought truth that set people free. Not condemned or held people down. And his whole entire lifestyle of grace and truth just gives us lesson after lesson after lesson on how to engage with people who disagree with us. Because that's what it really boils down to. As believers, we get stuck in this spot of, do we just want to surround ourselves by people that only believe what we believe? that only think what we think, that only act like we act, that only do what we do. You can say, like some people try that. It's really hard. I'd say probably almost impossible unless you just isolate and really avoid people altogether. Super unhealthy and not the way God designed us to live. And so the reality is we're called to be in relationship with people. We're called to build connections with other Christians, to build up the body of Christ, and also to build relationship with people that are not believers. And so what do we do with all of these different beliefs out there that people hold to that, that land in the preference camp, out on the edge of the target? They're not essential things, but they're these things that are out here about personal preferences. What do we do with those kind of beliefs? How do we handle people that disagree with us? Because being a disciple of Jesus means that, that we need to challenge the conventional wisdom of the world. We need to think and wrestle, but we also need to understand what do we do when we don't see things the same way with people. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but it feels like we live in a world where no one agrees with almost anything anymore. Paul gives lots of advice to his young disciple, Timothy, both in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, about applying this principle of grace and truth, about uh, dealing with people like speaking and teaching truth, but giving grace and, and how to navigate things that uh, they don't agree on. And it starts off with 1 Timothy uh, 4.16. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely persevere in them because if you do you'll save both you and your hearers like this is good instruction for us still today paul is saying watch your life and doctrine that word doctrine just simply means what you believe so he's telling his young disciple very applicable to us today watch your life and doctrine closely in other words pay attention to how you live what you're doing and what you think pay attention to how you're behaving and what you believe. It's important that we pay attention to that. And it says, if you do, right, if we stick close to the gospel, we stick close to the truth of the scriptures, then not only is there salvation for us, but for everyone that we would actually point there, that we're not going to confuse people. He goes on in 2 Timothy 2.1, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And for Paul, being strong in grace requires a commitment to, to good teaching, to sticking with the truth, but to also navigating when and how to bring that grace into play. He tells Timothy that he should entrust his teaching to um, uh, responsible people that can go and teach what he taught them. And then he later goes on and tells Timothy that it's important that he uh, sticks to the essentials, to remember the essentials of the faith, and he tells Timothy, this warning about uh, dealing with people that's engaged in a lot of godless chatter. Um, 
He says in 2 Timothy 2.16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So this is like, you got to understand, this is like in our analogy of the bullseye and the target. This is like Paul saying to, to, to Timothy, really don't get away from your bullseye beliefs. Like know what's on your bullseye, what's there, why you believe it. Defend those things, stick close to those things, and don't get sucked into arguing with people who are talking about everything out on the very edge of the target. He says it really bluntly in his first letter to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. He says, don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Right? Pretty straightforward. And then here's the cool part. If you've ever been curious, like what Paul's life mission statement was, like if he ever said it straight, this is probably really close. He says this in verse 5, he says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They've turned away from these things and they spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about even though they speak so confidently. Paul is warning Timothy as a teacher, as a disciple maker, as one who's shepherding and pastoring and and teaching the word of God to other people, stick with what's on your bullseye. Admonish. Actually stop people from arguing about things that are on the edge of the target. Don't just passively ignore it. He says, I left you there to stop them from teaching things that are contrary to the truth. Like, Don't get sucked into that. Don't get sucked in away from the bullseye into conversations that just are meaningless discussions that in the end, no matter how much you talk about it, no matter whether or not people agree with you or don't agree with you, in the end, it doesn't help anybody live a life of faith in God. Right? We live in a world right now where there is no shortage of conversations out on the edge of the target to talk about. What do we want to know about COVID vaccines? What do we want to know about presidents and politics and midterm elections? Yay, we get to hear about that like crazy, right? Does all it, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter. But as Christians, if we get lost in those things that are on the edge of the target, the topics that don't affect anybody's salvation, it's very easy to get sucked into meaningless discussions that don't help people live a life of faith in God. The very things Paul warned Timothy about. And it's something we're all susceptible to. So the question that comes to mind as, a, as you're going through this is like, okay, so, so this is, are you saying we can only talk about like salvation issues? Like I could never talk about this stuff out here? Like, that doesn't seem very realistic. Like, what exactly are we supposed to do with stuff that's out on the edge of the target? Like, how do we handle those things? Paul calls those things, by the way, uh, his language for them, he calls them disputable matters. Translation, personal preferences. Things that aren't 
essential for salvation, things that we can disagree about, and they don't have any impact on someone's faith in Jesus. Romans 14 gives us some great advice because Paul speaks to Christians there with a variety of people involved in their group in a variety of levels of maturity and background, and he gives them some advice on how to deal with these very same things. Like, okay, so we know what matters a lot, and we know what doesn't affect salvation, but it doesn't change the fact that those topics are still out there. So what do we do with them? How do we deal with those disputable topics? 14.1, he says, Accept the, the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, one thing we can learn right away about this Christian uh, group, this community that he was writing to, is that there was apparently some in the congregation or the fellowship that, whose faith was weak. Now, if any Christian community is healthy and growing, there should always be people who are mature and strong in the faith, people who are growing more mature in the faith. There should be people who are brand new and young in the faith. There are people that are weak in the faith. We hear that word weak and we think negative things about it. What Paul is saying is there are people who are weak in the faith. Translation There are people who are new, brand new, and just learning. And for people in our faith, Christians amongst Christians who are new and learning, Paul's instruction for them, accept them. Don't argue about stuff that's out there on the edge of the target. One commentator, John Stott, had this to say. He said uh, on this section of Romans, he says that to accept someone uh, means that you welcome them into one's fellowship and into one's heart. It implies the warmth and kindness of genuine love, right? Paul's telling these Christians, instead of arguing about these things that are disputable matters, these personal preferences, those of us who are more mature in the faith and recognize that's not a deal breaker, that's not a salvation topic, Like, we're not going to get lost talking about alcohol for months on end. He's like, for those of us who are more mature in the faith, we accept that person. And so what he's getting this picture he's painting is like accepting them is inviting them into fellowship with a warmth in your heart. Now, here's something I want you to, to understand. It's going to take practice. Because when you engage with people in topics that you don't necessarily see it the way you that you know see it the same way you might even be a little bit frustrated that they believe that thing is so important or so not important or whatever and for you to switch gears and go rather than me continuing down this road of trying to be right about something on the edge of the target I want to do what Paul instructed us to do, and I want to accept that person, not argue with them, and I want to invite them into my heart with warm regard. I got news for you. When you disagree with somebody about the COVID vaccine, when you disagree with somebody about alcohol, when you disagree with somebody about politics, when you disagree with somebody about pick your any number of things on the edge of your target, it's not going to happen on accident that you switch to thinking about them with warm regard and wanting to invite them into fellowship with you, to not argue with them, to lay down your willingness and desire to be right, you're going to have to work at it. 
We hear a lot about perseverance in our faith. This is one of those areas where it's going to take perseverance. If you try once and you're like, well, that was difficult, and they didn't really hear what I had to say, and it's like, cool, keep trying. Try until the norm for you is that when you disagree with people that are out on the edge of the the target, things, topics, that at the end of that discussion, they actually feel like you really love them and that you've invited them into fellowship. Like, like they feel like, man, I've never disagreed with somebody that likes me so much. Now you're on track, right? That's what Paul's trying to convey. He goes on in 14, 13, he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Right? In other words, those things that land on the edge of your target, personal preferences, disputable matters, don't let those beliefs, your convictions about those things, destroy our community, our unity in our fellowship, in our church, in our congregation, amongst other Christians you know. He goes on in fourteen nineteen. he says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Peace is a little more passive. I can stop arguing. And it brings about a measure of peace. Mutual edification is it active. You don't, just, you don't mutually lift each other up and say what's good for each other and bless each other and benefit each other on accident as believers, right? So these are the things that he's asking us to strive for. What we've got to remember is that the, the commandment to love one another does not get set aside when we disagree with people. We're called to love one another. In fact, we're called to love even our enemies. How crazy is it that we get so dogmatic and defensive about things that are preferences, they have no impact on somebody's salvation, but we can walk away from people with them being less interested in Jesus because they know how right we are about whatever. Now, here's the thing. It does not mean that practicing these things, it does not mean that we stop caring about bullseye beliefs. Don't hear me say, compromise on the essentials. That is not what I'm saying. We don't, as Christians, compromise on our core beliefs, our essential doctrine. We stick with that. We can dogmatically defend it, avoid things that oppose it, things that are inaccurate or untrue. Those are things that are worth discussing and talking about and debating, but we don't get lost treating things that are preferences the way we would treat a bullseye belief. So there's some things that we can glean from Paul's advice that, that I think are really relevant for us in many of the issues that we face day-to-day in the conversations that we land in. First of all, we can be reminded like, and ask ourselves, are we committed to, to loving those who disagree with us and protecting the unity of the body of Christ? When you're talking to other believers, do we sincerely care deeply about our unity as Christians? Is it more important to us than being right about the topic that we're discussing? If it is, there is great hope for us because Jesus says that our unity 
It was his dying prayer. Our unity testifies to the world that God is real. The second thing is is that our love for each other means that we should be ready to set aside our personal preferences for the sake of the weaker Christian. And when we again, weaker doesn't mean less than, not as a good. It just means learning. It, it makes no more sense than getting upset at a kid for being a kid, right? Some of you probably know we just got a puppy um, inherited. It was I. I have to say the disclaimer because it's the most unmanly dog on the earth. He's really, really, really cute and not tough at all. Um, he's uh, a, it's a big name for a small dog, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. I don't know if you know what that is, but it makes everybody go, oh, he's that kind of dog. And he's a puppy. My mom had him and it was too much. And so we inherited a puppy. And he's this little bundle of excitement and oohs and ahs. And guess what puppies do? They make messes. They don't always do the stuff they're supposed to do, right? Now, I could look at the puppy and go, oh, my gosh, I'm so mad that you're not a fully trained dog. Like, how dare you not listen or come or go to the bathroom in the right place? And I would get angry, and everybody would look at me and be like, gosh, that guy's dumb. You've not ever had a dog before, right? Like, it doesn't work that way. And it's just so simple to think about it when we think about, like, we don't expect a puppy to act like a fully trained dog. Why would we expect people, that's what Paul's trying to help us understand, like, like people who are young in the faith, who are growing, who are learning, who are maybe even brand new, why would we expect them to act like mature, lifelong Christians? And so when we encounter them and we come across topics that are on the edge of the target, what matters more than being right is loving them and being unified with each other, and and laying down our need to be right about this, or convince them about that. Now, maybe you've caught this. I've mentioned it a few times as we were going through here, but I've talked a lot, and I've said this phrase, like Christians talking to Christians. All of this advice that we just talked about, everything Paul spoke about to the Romans, everything Paul spoke about to Timothy was in regards to how Christians relate to other Christians. This is how we treat each other as family is what he's saying, right? Now, here's something you need to hear. As Christians, we also talk to people that don't know Jesus yet, that aren't walking with God yet, have no interest in God yet. And now, As Christians in the world, speaking to people who don't know Christ, how crazy would it be to waste our time and our opportunity to talk about stuff with them that's way out here on the edge of the target that we've already established has no bearing on someone's salvation? So they know what we think about alcohol. They know what our church thinks about this, or they know what you think about which president, or COVID vaccine, or pick your thing. It's like, do we really want to waste our opportunity to engage with people who don't know Christ as their Savior, to talk about something and understand something that has no bearing on their salvation? 
And so for us as a church, one of the things I want to just really challenge us with as we're wrapping this series up is I really want to challenge us with really switching not only the the grace we give one another in the family when we don't agree on stuff that's out on the edge of the target, that we just focus really uh, well on loving each other and giving each other grace and understanding each other. But when it comes to how we engage people outside of our Christian community, people who don't know Christ yet, that we start really getting good at building our conversations around the bullseye beliefs. Like if we've got a chance to talk to someone that doesn't know Christ, to build a relationship with them, let's learn how to weave in what matters most so that our conversations are peppered with salvation truth. Now, when I talk about stuff like this, inevitably what happens is I'll get people that'll push back and go, that's nice for some people, but not everybody's called to be an evangelist, right? And, and what they mean by that is not everybody has like special gifts and abilities to share their faith or to preach the gospel, right? Like not everybody has those gifts. That's true. The Bible does say that some have like special gifts and abilities. Like we all know people that are just, they can talk to anybody anywhere, anytime and make people comfortable. Not everybody is like that. Okay. Here's the thing we all need to remember. When we commit to follow Jesus, all of us receive a call and a commission from Jesus to be disciple makers, to meet people where they're at, to help them understand who Jesus is, and to help them begin to learn to do what Jesus taught. That's the Great Commission. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them what Jesus taught. Every one of us, evangelist or not, has that commission on our lives. And so, If that's such an important commission to our faith, to Jesus, to give to us, then what are we doing? How are we preparing ourselves to be intentional bullseye discussion masters? So uh, when you go out of here today... Uh, you're going to get a resource for you. And the first thing we started off this series with some homework, the end of it, we're going to start off with like kind of giving you all the answers. We're going to try and like give you the answer key and give you some tools to help you learn how to start discussions around those essential belief statements. Like, because some people it's like it comes natural for you. Other people you're like, man, I'd be a deer in the headlights. I wouldn't even know where to start. We're handing you tools to just try, to spur your mind, to get you thinking about it, so that you can be really intentional about starting to shift the way you build your conversations with people. It doesn't mean you never talk about football. It doesn't mean you never talk about sports or tell people about your puppy that you got, right? Like, But as a part of your lifestyle, you start to be intentional about purposely trying to weave in Discussion about the stuff that matters most. And if we'll do that, if we'll be faithful to that, how cool, what a cool opportunity to be able to have a part to play in somebody coming to faith in Christ. To have a coffee shop conversation be the thing that pricked their heart, softened, tickled their ears, got them to pay attention, and God starts to stir and work with your faithfulness to put something on the table that matters. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.